Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Two million. We have surpassed two million migrant encounters at the border in one year. It is a record. There were 203,598 migrant encounters at the border in August, bringing the total for fiscal year 22 to 2,150,370, and there's still a month left to go. The reporting from Bill Malugan, Fox News, you got to understand that for the United States government, uh, the uh, month starts in October. That's how their calendar works, and that's why they say one month to go. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, what's going on, everybody? 833-GOT-TONY-833-468-8669. That is the number. Now, we've got the White House press briefing. That's coming on. And every single place you look, everything we were told about momentum, everything we were told about, look at how many good things the Biden administration is getting done, Act all seems to be falling directly apart. I'm taking a look at the polling from Emerson College polling in Wisconsin, where you've got Republican incumbent Ron Johnson, senator running against the Democrat Mandela Barnes. Mandela Barnes had the lead. The Democrat had the lead in this poll against the incumbent Republican. I can share with you three polls. The Emerson poll that we're talking about, that I was just mentioning, I should should say two polls, has uh, Johnson up by four. The Siena poll has Johnson, uh, has uh, Barnes up by one. The Siena poll, a poll that I would throw away, 651 likely voters with a margin of error of four and a half. Four and a half, sorry, you gotta go. The Emerson poll, 860 likely voters, now we're getting into a lovely sample size, with a margin of error of 3.3. That's a little bit higher than I like to be. 3% is where I'd like to see the margin of error. Uh, But this has Johnson plus four. That's outperforming their margin of error. This isn't the only place where we're seeing this kind of movement. The latest polling out of Georgia shows that Walker is ahead of Raphael Warnock. Give you an example of what I'm talking about. Atlanta Journal-Constitution poll shows that Herschel Walker is plus two over Raphael Warnock, 861 likely voters with a margin of error of 3.3. Again, that same number where just a touch outside but it shows Walker ahead. Compared to the latest Marist poll that has 992 likely voters and has a margin of error of four, that shows Warnock up too. Even if you want to argue that, all right, maybe that's a push, what happened to the Democrats' big lead because Herschel Walker was such a lousy candidate? What happened? What changed? How is it so different now? 
And the answer is, when people started asking themselves, hey, what matters and what's important? Did they say abortion, abortion, abortion? Or did they say, well, no, my, my life and, and, and feeding my family and, 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 and economic opportunities. And yes, indeed, the border and this and that. And Biden, I, I don't have any faith in Joe Biden whatsoever. All of the accomplishments as we keep hearing about them, do not hold up in any level of this polling that we're seeing to reality. Now, I believe uh, that uh, Chuck Schumer is absolutely positively correct. Oh, God! Uh, Just on this one thing. Just on this one thing. OMG, are you kidding me right now? I, I, I swear it's true. Republicans will most likely take the House. That seems to be a fait accompli. And the Democrats have a 60% chance to hold on to the Senate. I believe that is that is a, an accurate assessment, not engaged in, in my own theories and philosophies in terms of, of, of values, but just looking at things politically, I, I believe that is accurate. And I believe these results right now, to the extent that you want to believe any polling, do not work out well for the political left. I believe they are damning and they are damaging. I believe Joe Biden was damning and damaging in his interview on 60 Minutes. I mean, this was brutal. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to run. Oh, COVID is over. Well, says who? Says you? You got people so mad at Joe Biden, they don't know which way to twist and turn. Isn't that right, Dr. Fauci? The intensity of the outbreak now, even though it is, I believe, unacceptably high, where we're having 400 deaths per day, when you compare it, to the fulminant stages we've experienced over the past year or so, where we used to have 800 to 900,000 cases per day and over 3,000 deaths per day. We are much better off now for a number of reasons that you mentioned, but we are not where we need to be if we're going to be able to, quote, live with the virus. So the pandemic isn't over. So now you're walking back the president's statement that the pandemic is over. Well, this is just fantastic. We're walking back his position on Taiwan, walking back that the uh, that the COVID is over. Are, Are we walking back any of his thoughts on inflation? Are we still willing to lie to the American people about that one? I swear to you, this interview should be the driving conversation everywhere. What in the hell is he talking about? This this was irrational. This was nuts. What Joe Biden said. Absolutely, positively nuts. To go down this road, 
to say the pandemic is over, that the U.S. will go to war with China over Taiwan, that inflation isn't all that bad, and he's not sure if he wants to run for re-election or if he's going to run for re-election. This should be the story for two weeks, and I don't know if it will be. I do know that it adds to this drumbeat of things are not okay in America. And you can scream about the CHIPS Act, and you can scream about Inflation Reduction Act, and you can scream about uh, Republicans being fascists and racists, blah, 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 blah. I'm not a guy for polls. I don't ever believe one poll. But in all, with all of that, look at what the polls are telling you. Look at what's happening in these places. Look at what's happening in Ohio. The Hill-Emerson poll, a 1,000 likely voters with a margin of error of three. That, that's fine. You see a poll that has those numbers, a 1,000 in the sample, a margin of error of three. You can be like, okay, all right, I can, I can work with that. Whether I believe it or not is secondary, but I can at least work with that. Uh, J.D. Vance, the Republican, up by four, outside the margin of error. There was a poll in August, 1,087 likely voters. 2.9 margin of error, Vance up by five. The poll that has the Democrat Tim Ryan up, Cincinnati Inquirer, 500 likely voters with a margin of error of 4.4, Ryan up by one. 500 and 4.4, no thank you. Everything we were told about, look at where all the momentum is, it's just going to be a red ripple. I don't know what it's going to be. As we discussed yesterday, I think uh, one of the people from uh, from Trafalgar is making solid sense that the amount of people who won't tell you they're supporting the political right because of the attacks on Trump or whatever the case may be, they don't want to be attacked themselves, uh, what he referred to as submerged voters. I think that is an accurate take. And I think that the polling is going to be undercounting, as he does, that amount of support. And if you're to believe that true, when you see the polling at this stage of the game showing any level of support, well, holy mackerel. What does it say for all of the political lefts trying uh, to talk about what a good record the president has, lying, trying to talk about the good record, lying about inflation, and then, of course, the screaming and screeching of fascists? That that stuff doesn't work. It's just ugly. I want to share with you the questions asked at the White House press briefing, so keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. assessment at this point is that uh, between the... So that's Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor, answering questions there at uh, the podium. Tony Katz. Good to be with you, Tony Katz, uh, today talking about Russia, the invasion of Ukraine. Ukraine has been pushing back nicely. The Russians really were not up for this battle in a profound way. They just simply had the people they could throw at it. But even with the people they've thrown at it, this is this is really telling about how incapable they are. And and you're left just with this 
weird question. You don't you don't even have to be a, a strong political observer to ask the question. Why'd they pick the fight to begin with? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. And I am left with, after much study, they really thought this was going to be easy. They thought they had this covered. They thought they were fine. They thought, you know, to quote Stripes, it's Czechoslovakia. We're in, we're out. It's nothing. And, and lo and behold, that was that was not the case. I think it's fine for people to say we're giving too much money to Ukraine. I think it's fine for people to note that Ukraine is not a perfect place. I think it's fine. I am not with the people who are like, we shouldn't be engaged in this at all. We don't care if Russia takes Ukraine. It doesn't matter. I think it does matter. I think it does matter. And I think if you're just putting up some dollars as opposed to putting up people, um, you're better off. There's a moment where you're like, okay, I think we spent enough dollars. You better do something here. You got to handle this. But we're better off destabilizing Russia in this way. And then Russia finding its way to a, a, a better life and a better opportunity. But, of course, everything that is about Russia and Ukraine is meaningless because you got to be taking a look at what China's going to do. What is China's plan? What is China's philosophy? A destabilized Russia means what to them and to their maneuvering that's always the thing the always the place where i'm taking uh, the look it was a very weird story from politico i was like this this is are are, are they just looking to cause a problem are they looking to cause the and the answer is it's politico so it's 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 very very possible that they're looking to cause a scene that they're looking to cause a problem why in the world would we not know who controls the Senate come election day? This is this is their headline. Why we may not know who won the Senate on election day. Why in the world are you going down this road? Why would you say that? Many of the same factors they write in the same battleground states are at play in 2022, starting with races that could have very slim margins. Add in the continued popularity of mail-in voting and state laws in Pennsylvania and elsewhere that could delay processing of those ballots, and the chance of another waiting game is distinct, possibly with control of the Senate up in the air. Which is why, of course, Pennsylvania should never have been certified in the presidential election. Yes, I said it then, I say it now. The judiciary usurping the power of the legislature? Deciding what is and isn't acceptable when that's not the judiciary's role, that is the role of the legislative branch? You allowed in votes past deadline, past due, you still counted them? The rational mind should have said we can't certify the electoral votes of Pennsylvania. By the way, Biden still, with the other certifications, still would have been president. Just so we, we can do electoral math together. But, oh, no, 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 no. The rational mind does not certify Pennsylvania because the usurpation matters that much. It it is indeed that important. But we're going to start getting into delays on midterms. Everyone everywhere is like, oh, so, so, so the left can cheat. That is exactly how people are responding all over the place. 
oh, so the left can cheat. Or maybe it should be said differently. I don't know if we have to go left or right with this. Oh, so cheating can occur. When you have massive levels of mail-in voting, what you are doing is encouraging cheating. You're encouraging fraud. I'm not saying that you will get it. I am saying that you are encouraging it. You're creating the opportunity for it. That opportunity is a gigantic problem. When you mail out ballots and say, yeah, send it back when you want, you create opportunities for fraud. When you engage ballot harvesting, you're creating opportunities for fraud. Notice how I didn't bring up absentee balloting. That's you saying, hey, I need a ballot because I will not be in town or I'll be sick or I'll be in military service, whatever the case may be. That is different than a ballot just being sent to you saying, hey, here you go. Why bother showing up when you can do it right from the comfort of your own home? And oh, you grab some other ballots? Ah, you can probably fill out theirs too. Who's going to know? You're creating the opportunity for fraud. And you're creating the opportunity for ballots to be found. Sorry, if you find 400 ballots under a table somewhere, 400 ballots in a trunk of a car somewhere, don't expect anybody to believe you. We think you're full of crap. We think you lie. We think that you're engaged in trying to screw with an election. I don't know why that's so shocking to anybody. Then again, uh, you run into people who are totally fine with mail-in balloting. It's COVID. It's to keep people safe. It didn't keep anybody safe. Just stop it. Don't be silly. Get rid of all the mail-in voting. All of it. You'd have a much safer much more reliable election. Isn't that what you want? You want people to believe in the election results? Well, do the things that create the least amount of opportunity for people not to have faith. That makes rational sense. Don't give people a reason to freak out and lose their S. Be rational, normal people. I don't know why that's so difficult. Joe Biden gave what I consider to be the most insane answers to an interview on 60 Minutes that can be believed. The question is, how does it affect him? How will it affect the midterms? Leland Vitter of News Nation is with us next to break that down. What is he hearing? What's his take? We will get into all of it. Keep it here. Find everything at TonyCats.Locals.com. This is Tony Katz today. As you know, last Tuesday, the annual inflation rate came in at 8.3%. The stock market nosedived. People are shocked by their grocery bills. What can you do better and faster? Well, first of all, let's put this in perspective. Inflation rate month to month was just uh, 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 just an inch, hardly at all. You're not arguing that 8.3 is good news. No, I'm not saying it's good news, but it was 8.2 or 8.2 before. I mean, it's not. You're, I, mean, I can make it sound like all of a sudden, my God, it went to 8.2 percent. That interview. With 60 Minutes, Scott Pelley with the interview of President Biden, to me, 
is a 24-hour news cycle that should last weeks. You have the president saying the pandemic is over, that the U.S. will go to war with China over Taiwan. Inflation isn't all that bad, as you just heard him say. And then he's not sure if he's running for re-election. This should be the most newsworthy of newsworthy interviews, not only for what he said about not running for, possibly not running for re-election, but look at how the White House and others had to correct him or go back and correct the record on things regarding foreign policy and how we live our daily lives vis-a-vis COVID. Tony Katz, so good to be with you. Leland Vittert joins us right now. He is the host of On Balance with Leland Vittert at News Nation, newsnationnow.com every Monday through uh, Friday over there at 8, uh, p- is it 8 p.m. 7 Central? No, you're 7 p.m. Eastern. 6 p.m. Central. I think that that's 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 when the man is on. I think I've got that uh, correct right now. And your 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 perch uh, as a journalist, as you watch these stories uh, kind of unfold, you watch that 60 minutes interview. What was your takeaway? My takeaway was uh, you have to think about Ron Klain, uh, the chief of staff, who give credit where credit's due over the past two months, uh, kept President Biden largely out of sight or in extremely managed situations and took his uh, approval rating from 36 percent in July to 45 percent in September and almost exactly two months. And then all of a sudden, uh, let him let him do this 60 minutes interview. And and wow, I, I kind of walked away from the interview. Uh, and you're right. It was an incredibly consequential one thinking to myself, like, what does all this mean? Like, what is it? What does it mean that we're going to go to war over Taiwan? What does it mean that he's going to decide later about running for reelection? What does it mean that the pandemic is over? What does it mean that inflation is only up an inch? Does that mean we're done dealing with inflation? Does that mean that the president doesn't think it's a big deal? Does it mean he thinks it's a big deal, but there's nothing he can do about it? I, I couldn't there – were, there were a lot of answers, but no they, – they were like 20 percent of the way there. I am left – you know, as as I watch this interview, a, a whole series of things uh, come to mind. But when you bring up Ron Klain, the White House Chief of Staff, uh, I am left with with my top line question: Doesn't this show a level of disarray? Uh, you, it, it, we've discussed before that if the White House is always coming out behind President Biden saying, well, what he really meant or what we really feel or what this is the actual policy that shows an undercutting uh, of the president. And it's something that President Biden has complained about before in normal times or maybe maybe not normal times in Trump times. Wouldn't an interview like this and the responses from the White House be seen as the White House is in total disarray? How is it different this time? It's a good point. What I think is kind of interesting about what you bring up is, is in, in Trump times, okay, if you undercut the president or quote unquote tried to clean it up, okay, you were fired. That was the last thing you said as a White House staffer, right? So that that I, I think that that, that it continues to happen is interesting, and, and I, to me, it's more of a question, right? Which is, if the president is the commander in chief and is the guy who 
is in charge and, and all, on and on and on and on. Why does he fire these people? Like, if he's actually upset, now you can you can go the next step, right? And, and look, you, you we as journalists are trained to be skeptical of a White House, but you you have to give it at least the possibility that what they're doing is is relatively calculated. That President Biden wants to telegraph to the Chinese that yes, we will defend Taiwan. He's only I think he said it now four times. Um, and and at the same time, his staff is giving the Chinese a way to save face and not start a war. But the president has laid down his line. You can say that with the pandemic, he he said the quiet part out loud and acknowledged really where most Americans already are, although the left is really angry with him for saying it. And, and that's necessary for the midterms. Um, you can say that his political staff may not like that he says, I'm not, I don't know if I'm running for reelection, but he's the president of the United States and maybe he made that decision and, and, and wants to begin the process of letting the field know, hey, it's okay to begin building the campaigns and waiting. But if we're discussing. Know, you, have, you have to at least entertain that possibility. Talking to Leland Vittert of News Nation Now, NewsNationNow.com, his show on balance with Leland Vittert. Be sure to check it out every Monday through Friday. If if, if you want to make the argument that he's that, that President Biden was was engaged in a level of calculation and ma- sending a message uh, to China, that would be one thing. He made this exact same statement that the United States would support Taiwan or at least uh, would engage militarily for Taiwan back in May of 2022. He's now done it again, putting an end to the idea of strategic ambiguity. It's not a- ambiguous to say we will stand in the, sta- the, the, the Straits of Taiwan and fight China. But the, when you hear the White House go back under it, right, and, and, and undercut the president there, now you're Taiwan. They, they have to be hearing this and thinking something. You've covered the Middle East for years, spending a lot of time uh, in, in Israel and all throughout the area. These words are indeed measured, but when they get undercut from the White House, that's got to leave you wanting. Yeah, I, I, I think that, that it very well may leave Taiwan wanting. It very well also may be. And, and if you listen to Jake Sullivan today, uh, the president's national security advisor, um, he made the point that, well, the president was answering a hypothetical not changing policy, which actually isn't undercutting what the president said at all. If you just take that at face value that, that yes, um, the president, you know, the president would order the U.S. military to protect Taiwan in the event of an invasion. It kind of says it all. You know, we, we can look for, you know, a, a storyline of, of undercutting. But at least at least on that point, I haven't seen it yet on the pandemic. I think it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be really interesting to see how then the, the White House defends, say, the student loan um uh, reprieve or canceling or whatever you want to call it. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they deal with asking for more funding as they already are about dealing with COVID. Um, now that the president has said it's over, how do you deal with title 42 at the border? How does the, how do you keep arguing in federal court that you, that you need emergency powers when the president has said uh, that the pandemic uh, is over? How do they deal with their base uh, on that issue? 
This um, is the pandemic's over. I mean, and this is where the next question goes. You know, Title 42 is the idea that you can expel people from the country who have crossed over because of a communicable disease like a COVID. The student uh, loan uh, forgiveness can't exist if the pandemic is over because it's the pandemic that set the emergency conditions under which President Biden says he has the authority uh, to do this. So how much disarray did this interview or how much disarray does it cause for Democrats? Democrats who are running for office and running for re-election in those tight House and Senate races. Look, we don't know how this is going to end up, and I and I think you make a very good point that now, uh, less than sixty days, almost less than forty-five days to the election, everything has to be looked at through the midterm prison. But boy, we are um, in uncharted waters, and I think Tony, you know, the last time, and you and I didn't really realize it. You realized it more than me. That's why. Um, you're on, you're on the air longer than I am every day because you're smarter. Is that bless you? Um, we, well, you know, I, I had to get in something. Okay, so here's the deal. The last time we were in uncharted waters was 2016. We didn't really understand what was happening with Trump at the time. At least I didn't. But you saw it and you kept warning, like there's something here we're not picking up on. And I think in this election. We understand the things we're not picking up on, but because inflation's never been this high in 40 years, you've never had abortion um, as a driver on the left. It's always been an issue on the right uh, for voter turnout. Um, you've never had big shifts in uh, demographics. I'm thinking particularly Hispanics as a voting population. Modeling and polling all of these races and how all these issues break is is going to be really hard. And I think that the, the real, the conventional wisdom, quote unquote, doesn't apply anymore, which makes our job even more fun. Talking to Leland Vitter of NewsNationNow.com. I was going over some, some polling numbers earlier and and i'm never a guy who believes one just one poll and i got so abused by the mitt romney polling in 2012 that i i basically swore off the stuff uh, but as as i look start to look at some things now you you see where republicans are gaining traction in Georgia, in Ohio, uh, in Arizona, and, and and in Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania against uh, John, John Fetterman. But you brought up abortion. I keep hearing people bring this up. I have seen more Yamiche Alcindor on MSNBC bringing up abortion that it is moving Republican women. They feel betrayed by the party, which seems very hard to understand considering where the Republican Party and certainly the religious right has been vis-a-vis Roe v. Wade. In your discussing things with people, talking to people analysis, is abortion a serious subject and mover in the midterms? I, I don't believe in anecdotal evidence, and I think anecdotal evidence can be used to uh, kind of create any kind of narrative you want the one piece of evidence that i'd say that i i think that republicans would be wise to look at and really think about is kansas and you can rationalize away a lot of that um and i I hear people on the right doing it um but i think kansas is a really interesting spot um to look at what happened in a special election there the sort of the massive wave um, of of pro-choice or anti 
pro-life vote that that came out there um, that was different than anything we'd really seen, anything that had been polled. Um, that's something that that's a data point that I'd, I'd put there, and I've yet to see a data point on the other side from Republicans, uh, not polling, but an actual uh, election that ha- has happened since the Dobbs decision that that indicates it's a good thing for Republicans. You know, I I I'd look at Kansas, but can't, remember that Kansas wasn't about. Uh, and a specific piece of abortion legislation, it was about the changing of their constitution. And when we take a look at my beloved Indiana, Indiana and the General Assembly voted for abortion restrictions, and there are now a couple lawsuits uh, discussing that. Well, of course, there are going to be lawsuits, but Indiana, in a place with a supermajority of Republicans, really uh, set the course and with a, a few hiccups, got to a place where they wanted to be. Isn't that a little different? If, if saying that Kansas is, is some level of, of bellwether, that was a constitutional conversation versus a specific abortion conversation like this one piece of legislation that was about changing the constitution well that was about changing the constitution vis-a-vis abortion and and it was true in the way the election was in the way the the sort of advertising and discussion around that special ballot measure uh, that was done during the primary election was set up is this was a referendum on abortion wasn't set up as a referendum on the Constitution about some esoteric thought. It was, you know, protect choice, protect abortion rights. Those were the ads. Um, so, and you said your beloved uh, Indiana. You said the very thing. The General Assembly voted. The General Assembly voted, not not the public. And those are those are different things. You, you and I have talked about this a long time. That that our elected representatives, in order to become elected, are are continually becoming more extreme on virtually every issue than the generic voter is because of, because of the power of primaries um, and the power of, of, of the minority in, in both parties. So I don't know. I, I'm, I, I don't know, but I've yet to see any, imper- any data from an actual election that Republicans point to that can say, hey, the abortion issue post-Dobbs is really good for us. That is Leland Vitter. Catch him Monday through Friday at News Nation Now, newsnationnow.com, 7 p.m. Eastern. That is 6 on the Central. Find him on Twitter at Leland Vitter, L-E-L-A-N-D-V-I-T-T-E-R-T. He's an easy guy to find. Leland, always a pleasure. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Over at the Atlantic, they have a piece uh, that says separating sports by sex doesn't make sense. Yes, of course it does. And they want to make the argument, as they write here, decades of research have shown that sex is far more complex than we may think. And though sex differences in sports show advantages for men, researchers today still don't know how much of this is to attribute to biological difference versus the lack of support provided to women athletes to reach their highest potential. Men are stronger than women, by and large, in the main, and the best female athlete in tennis, Serena Williams, couldn't beat the best male athlete in tennis, Roger Federer, they both have since retired, um, ever, ever, not once, not never, not ever. 
And it is questionable whether Serena could have beat the 100th ranked tennis player or maybe the 200th ranked. That is not to say that Serena Williams isn't great. It's to say that men are physically stronger. It is to say that you will not be able to field a women's football team that could beat a men's football team unless, of course, that men's team was the Indianapolis Colts. This is not me being a sexist. This is a fundamental reality. Men are not women and women are not men. The greatness of women exists and is real. But don't think that somehow it's because women aren't given a chance to be successful. Women are not as strong as men, not as fast as men, not as agile as men. Many other attributes they have coming out of their ears. I'm Tony Katz.